Well, we are in Romans chapter 8, and we started the book of Romans in January, so we're moving along. There's 16 chapters, so we're about halfway there. Romans chapter 8, to many scholars, is considered the greatest chapter written in the Bible. Now, I know that sounds a bit heretical because it's all good when it's Holy Spirit inspired, right? But what they mean by this is that there's so many doctrinal truths that if a Christian or if a person were to tear out Romans chapter 8 from their Bible, and it's the only chapter they had, that would be sufficient. This is what the scholars mean by that. And it's so good and so rich, I had to really figure out how are we going to cover all this material in enough time to finish this book in a year. Well, um, we are going to take about six weeks to Romans chapter 8. I hope that's okay. And that, that's, 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 not a, that's not a joke. I'm serious. And here's why. There's just, there's too much in there. there there's just too much in there that we have to pace ourselves. Uh, our good friends took us to um, a Brazilian steakhouse, and it's called Fogo de Chao. And, and I remember, and, and I had never been, there's one in Scott, I'd never been, and I was really excited. And I got there, and I thought, oh, even the salad bar looks incredible. Like, that's no ordinary lettuce. And the tomatoes, the way they just shine. And I mean, it was so, I realized in order for me to enjoy all of this goodness, I got to pace myself and take my time. And then they have something at the table where it's a little card, like green means keep it coming, red means stop, and I left it on green. <laughs> We're going to leave Romans chapter 8 on green for a while because it's so rich that even as I go over it four or five verses at a time that I want to encourage you Go home and study it deeper uh, because I, I'll study it incredibly deep to make it incredibly plain. So knock yourself out and go home and study it even deeper. Today we're going to cover four verses in Romans chapter 8. Very simple. And here's what Paul says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free, free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Pretty easy to understand, right? So, just so you know, these four verses are what we would call a Trinitarian passage, which Paul does this often, but what you're going to see is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By the way, any time that you see God's name mentioned in Scripture, the Spirit and the Son are there as well. Anytime you see the word spirit mentioned, the Father and Son are there as well. Anytime you see the name Jesus mentioned, the Father and the Spirit are there as well. They are not three separate gods. They are three gods, one head. Or, or sorry, not three separate gods. We are a Trinitarian, one God, three functions. So anytime, it starts from the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. 
What scripture says, come, let us make man in our image. The Jesus is represented, uh, the spirit and God, all in this one function. So the first thing Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is, therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask a question. What is that therefore? Seriously, you really do. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. Well, Paul just came out of last week. We talked about Romans chapter 7. Remember, why do we do the things we don't want to do and the things we do want to do we don't do? Remember that? And he was talking about this, the realistic wrestle that we have as Christians. We want to please God, yet we fell and we have sin. And the reality is that there are times when we live pleasing God, and then there are times where we fail God. You ever fail God before? In fact, have you ever made a decision in your life that you're not happy with, and in fact, it haunts you? And you just feel worthless because of it at times? And you beat yourself up, and you feel like, I just can't do this. I can't accomplish this Christian life thing. I can't. And I feel like a hypocrite. I'll share a personal story, being transparent with you all. I am chief of people who give themselves self-condemnation. Like, I, I beat myself up incredibly well. Like, some of the emails you have sent me ain't got nothing when I tell myself already. Like, I'm just wired that way. I'm hard on myself. I'm a people pleaser. And I'm wired to where if I don't match up to where I want to do, I just beat myself up. Do you know what I'm saying? You just feel so unworthy. I'll share a personal story to help you kind of grasp what I'm talking about. About five weeks ago, really six weeks ago, my wife and I get a phone call. And um, this, this man is an executive director of a Christian family camp. And he says, hey, somebody just backed out of camp. If you can come to this family camp within the next five days, it's yours, a week-long free camp. Now, this is a camp that typically my wife and I could not afford. It's a high-end family camp. It's incredible. So this man said, hey, we want to bless you because you have a five days notice. We'll give it to you at a really cheap rate. So he took it. My favorite price is free 99. <laughs> I call that a hookup from heaven. All right, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and so we get to the camp, and it's, it's awesome. And, um, and nothing against this, but um, you can tell it's a high-end camp, very successful people. Um, you know, some of the kids walked in with their little Bibles. Not my kids, the other kids uh, walked in with the Bibles and cute little pink polo shirt tucked in with white khakis and Sperry's. And they just had it all together. They, they listened to their parents. And, <laughs> and like my kids jump out of the van, their shirts are off, and they're like, yeah. It's just like chicken nuggets coming out of their pants. Like, yeah. We're here to do camp, baby. I'm just like, where are your clothes at? And it was, it was so I, I was feeling a bit inferior. Uh, and so, um, and again, like, I, I usually don't care, but I do. And so we get to camp, and this is the way they start this. And you know how sometimes, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a believer, obviously, I'm a pastor, but you know how sometimes we can be pretty cheesy? Um, well, it was like the epitome of cheesy. So they get, they take the kids and they get all the parents together in a room and, they're like 50 couples. 
And my wife and I walk in the room, and I'm automatically like, if I'm not leading something or if I'm not hosting something, I'm an extreme introvert. Like, birthday parties scare me to death. Like, so we walk in this room, and everybody's chatting, and I just, I just become introverted, and I kind of step back. My wife's like, where do you want to sit? I was like, let all them sit up front, and we'll sit in the back. And she's like, you're a pastor. I was like, so? They don't know that. We're going to sit in the back. <laughs> and, and so we sit in the back to the right, to be exact. They start the front left, and you have to stand up and, and give a high and low. I'm like, oh, gosh. I wonder if this is how my kids feel. And, and so, you know, people are getting up. And, again, this is not wrong, but these are very successful people that made me feel very inferior, honestly. I just felt incredible. Like, my car wasn't as nice as theirs. Um, my kids weren't well-behaved, much better looking, but not as well-behaved as their kids. <laughs> and so they get up, and, and they're sharing, like, oh, you know, this year, blah, 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 and blah, 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 and, you know, I created, you know, cars, and whatever they did. And, <laughs> and it's like I'm getting more and more insecure, and it's going down the line, right? And it's coming to us, and I'm sitting here, and, like, each person that stands up, here's what I'm thinking. I, I'm being transparent. Man, I don't belong here. What if they find out I have tattoos? What if they find out I have a past? I mean, but I was being so irrational, and sin and insecurity normally does that, right? And it was all birthed out of my pride, which was really birthed from my insecurity. And so I'm sitting here, and every person that gets up, I'm like, I don't match up to him. Man, that's a good look. You're 35, and you, do you do CrossFit? How do you get like that? And he has a full, I mean, I'm just like totally insecure. And it gets to me, and I'm like, gosh, I don't even want to be here. And I become so insecure that when it's my turn, I'm like, honey, what do I say? And she's like, I know you're feeling insecure. Just be, be humble. And, and I, normally, I, I normally don't struggle with this stuff. I just don't care. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to say when it gets to me, hey, my name is Noe. This is my wife, Clancy. It's our first time here. We're glad to be here. And then sit down and shut up. Because, <laughs> I mean, the, I've learned in marriage, the less I say, the better. And... And it gets to me, and insecurity just takes me over. And I stand up, and they're all looking. And out of my insecurity, out of my pride, which pride is a sin when you act on the sinful action, and I did. This arrogance and this humble pride came out of me. And I'm just, oh, you know, it's been a tough year. I got my doctorate, and I, got, and I start naming all these accolades. I don't do that. I don't do that because I know that, number one, without God, I am nothing. I don't do that because, number two, without God, I couldn't accomplish what I've accomplished. Uh, number three, without God, I wouldn't have an incredibly beautiful wife who's so supportive of me with these beautiful... I, I, so I don't do this stuff. But in the moment, I did it. In the moment, I got up, and I was like, here's what I've done. Here's who I am. And I give all these accolades. I sit down, and I was like... Why did I do that? I was so dumb. And I, and literally, I was like, let's get out of here. She's like, there's like 45 minutes. I was like, I don't know, let's get out of here. I'm uncomfortable. And she, we stayed. But for the rest of the week, this was the first day. For the rest of the week, here's what happened. Because of my pride and insecurity, I became arrogant and wanted to boast in me instead of boasting God. Right after that, you know what this is like, came flooded with guilt. And then flooded 
with shame. And then I thought, now I'm an arrogant guy. I really don't belong here. And now they all probably look at me like I'm arrogant. And then my mind was messing the entire week. We, we'd go to the cafeteria, and I was like, let's go sit and eat by ourselves in the corner, honey, because they're going to probably think I'm arrogant. And the entire week, I was like just self-shaming myself. And then people would ask, hey, 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 what do you do for a living? I was like, ah, oh, yeah, not much. What do you do? I was like trying to correct what I did wrong. And then one person was like, hey, weren't you the guy who did late Senator McCain's funeral? And I was like, how do I answer that? How do I look humble? How do I look humble? Uh, yeah, I think so. You, know, you think so? <laughs> oh, what do I do? Now, I'm being funny, but, but if God were to expose my resume of sin, then I'd be shamed before all of you. It's just horrible of who I was before Christ, who I've been in Christ. It's horrible, and, and, and we are the best for condemning ourselves. And so you have that in mind, right? So Paul gets to Romans chapter 8, and here's what he says, the very first thing to the Christian who is struggling, to the one who feels like you are not good enough, to the one who feels like you can't get this right, to the one who just wants to tap out and escort yourself out, because you don't belong. Here's what he says. There is therefore now, not tomorrow, not in the future, not 10 days, not after you prove yourself, not after your record of being pure is better than your record of being impure. No, 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 no. He says right now in this very moment, right during the act or even after the act of committing sin, right now, Right in this moment, listen to what he says next. No condemnation. Listen, this is one of the greatest phrases you will hear. He says, for those that are in Jesus Christ, there is now in this moment no condemnation. None. Now, what does the word condemnation mean? Because some of you didn't give enough amens because if we understood what it fully meant, then it would be like, amen. <laughs> it doesn't count now. But I'll give you a moment later, right? So here's what Paul is saying. If you're in Jesus Christ, I have incredible news for you. Because what Christ has done, this word condemnation, is a legal term. Uh, you know, it, it means to be condemned. You, know, you go before the judge. The, the, the judge bangs his gavel and gives you the sentence. This is basically what happens, okay? You, you're standing before the judge because you broke the law, and you're standing before the judge, and it's like somebody says, Judge, before you hit the gavel, uh, whatever they did, I will do their time. I will serve the life sentence. So I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a murder, an adulterer, uh, a thief, a, whatever it is. I will take their sentence 
for them. So now get this picture now that you understand that word condemnation as a legal term. Here's what happened. Take your resume of sins, the times you have uh, broken the spiritual law of God, and pretend you were before God and he's about to judge you, and Jesus says, no, 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 take me for everything they have done, for what their kids have done, for what the world has done. If they will believe in me, I will take their life sentence for them. So they are no longer condemned. They don't have to stand before the judge like that and have a life sentence apart from God because of Christ. When you are in Christ, you have a life sentence with God in spite of what you have done or what you will do. That's why when he says right now in this moment, that is hard to grasp, isn't it? Because we live in a world that constantly wants to shame us to some degree. We just do. We live in a world that wants to remind us of our imperfections and failures. And so it's hard to grasp on to the reality of why the world is doing it to you, why you do it to yourself, God's not doing it. But for some reason, the, the, what we hold on to is not the truth of God, but the lies of man. It always boggles my mind. So what Paul is trying to tell you is, hey, listen, you're going to struggle. It's going to happen, but I want you to know one thing. Don't go into spiritual depression. Don't do it, because if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Now, I want you to see what he does next. Remember I said this is a Trinitarian passage, meaning you will see the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You will see the Son. You will see the Father. Think of this passage this way. The Father ordered it, the Son fulfilled it, and the Spirit confirmed it. Watch this, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. Free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So here's, here's the picture he is giving. When Jesus came and died on the cross, what did he send to us? The helper. The helper is the Holy Spirit. It, it is the confirmation that you are a child of God. He has sealed you with that to let you know it worked, it took. Now, look at what happens next. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Pretty easy to understand, right? Not very. Uh, let me make this even easier. Uh, we have a very smart congregation, so that's not what I'm saying, but, but there's a lot here that Paul is saying. He is saying, here's the great news for the Christian, that the Son came who sent him, the Father. So the Father ordered it, right? The Son received it. What did he receive? The wrath of God went on the Son so that you and I would have to experience the wrath of God. How do we know it worked? How do we know that it took the Spirit? So when he says, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from law of sin and death, here's what he is saying. The Holy Spirit, once it resides in you, has taken residency, which has freed you from the eternal consequences of sin. Not because you have done anything, but because God has done everything. So 
he continues to say this, for God has done, who did it? Who did it? For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law exposes sin, it doesn't conquer it. The law exposes sin, it does not conquer it. So God gave us the law to expose our sin. There was an issue. We have an issue. The law can't take care of the issue. It just exposed the issue. You can't take care of the issue. You're just exposed to the issue. So God sent his son to die on the cross to conquer the power of sin so that we would not be condemned. Now, so you have the three working together. The Father ordered it, the Son fulfilled it, and the Spirit confirmed it, correct? The Spirit is what sets us free from the consequences of sin and death. Let me give you an example. When I was in San Francisco, and you'll see some pictures here. One of the ministries I did in San Francisco was at San Quentin. San Quentin's one of the highest maximized uh, prisons there is. What we would do, we would actually, this, you can leave it right here. To the top left is the courtyard we played sports in. So we would come in and we would play football, baseball, basketball. And we would do it just about every Saturday. And so what we would do, this is a group of guys here, literally this is where we play. The top right is what we would do every single time. We would, we would come in, we'd play basketball and usually get whooped. But then during the halftime, we'd bring everybody together. And we'd share the gospel with everyone. Every single time, we'd share the gospel. And it was interesting because there was one man, I think he's in the picture down here, I know it's hard to see, uh, they called him Preacher Man. Preacher man was a lifer. That means he committed some kind of crime that sentenced him to life in prison. But preacher man was called preacher, named preacher man for a reason. He knew the word of God in and out. And what he would do is we would normally do some kind of devotion, and then we knew that we can count on him once we left to take care of the prisoners and explain the rest of the scripture. That's why they called him preacher man. He was a believer. Preacher man had this unbelievable joy in him. You wouldn't have known that preacher man was a lifer, forever in prison, never getting out of this place. But what preacher man understood is that although he was facing the consequences of his sin, the earthly consequences, that although physically he was in prison, spiritually he was free. See, the challenge to a lot of Christians, though, although you are physically free, spiritually you're imprisoned. Because you don't understand that God has truly set you free. And you think you deserve the worst, and you think you deserve it, and the truth is we do, but because of Christ, we don't get it. Isn't it amazing how many free people we have in this room? that are truly internally enslaved and you don't have true freedom. Preacher man has true freedom. Surrounded by bars, but free in Christ. 
See, I've learned this as I've become a Christian. I've walked in Christ, and, and I've learned that sometimes this world is just hard, is it not? I, I've learned that sometimes that, man, the criticism that comes is just hard to take. I've learned that although people can verbally give you a condemnation life sentence, spiritually, they can't d- condemn you. Spiritually, Christ has set you free. Spiritually, we can walk in freedom. Spiritually, you don't have to beat yourself up for the things you did five years ago. You don't have to think, beat yourself up for the things you did five days ago or five minutes ago. Because when you are in Christ, look at the benefits. You're not condemned, verse 1. When you're in Christ, verse 2, you are set free. When you're in Christ, verse 3, God's imputed righteousness is given to you because of Christ. That's what being set free is. Somebody else did the work. When I was, when I was in high school, and I'll close on this, uh, I wasn't the greatest, greatest student. I was a student athlete. I wasn't the greatest student. I just got by, did whatever I could do. And I remember the greatest words a teacher could say was this. Hey, class, I've decided to grade on the curve. Espíritu Santo, gracias a Dios. Listen, this is the best thing I can hear. And that would mean that the teacher normally takes the highest grade, right? Were any of you that student with the highest grade all the time? And nobody liked you, let's be honest, okay? Nobody, you were the student who messed up the curve, all right? But it was pretty incredible. Like my D went to a C or my C went to a B. I mean, it was, it, was, it was incredible. Somebody else did all of the work, and I would benefit from it. Like, I was like, how is this even okay? How is this possible? And I'd go home and brag to my mom as if I made that grade. <laughs> Today, class, we're going to grade on the curve. There is a God. You know what's incredible? When Christ looks at humanity, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means your life grade is not enough to get you to heaven. So, so God sent his son, one perfect student, who had no flaw, no error, and said, I'm going to judge you off of what my son's grade is, not what your grade is, because your grade wouldn't get you into the kingdom of God. My son's grade is perfect, perfect. And I'm going to give you what my son earned for you and what my son took for you because you couldn't do it for yourself. So what did God do? He graded on the curve and gave us something we didn't deserve. Praise God for that. So in these, these, these four verses, here's my challenge. This is just your introduction to really chapter 8. Uh, next week, I encourage you, throughout chapter 8, I encourage you, encourage you, encourage you. I know some of you travel, but I encourage you, if you can be here, it gets much better and it grows on top of each other because now he's going to get into what does it look like to live and walk in the Spirit of God next week. So don't miss it. But here is my challenge for you. Are you really free? I mean, have you let that verse really sink in? Or do you live shaming yourself 
Are you free? Let's pray together.